Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. If you don't know me, my name's Mike. I'm uh, the other Mike, uh, the less Italian Mike, but the equally exciting. <laughs> Dead, over the crowd. Um, yeah, so if you don't know me, I, I actually I grew up in this church, born and raised, Windsor, Essex. And uh, actually, when we had a school, I was, went to the whole school. I graduated from the school. Uh, my parents were the children's pastors for this church for a long time. Uh, they since moved up north to Sault Ste. Marie and started a church that was planted, birthed out of WCF. And um, so, yeah, so about 10 years I was gone. Uh, I about, spent about nine years up north with them in the Sioux. And then I spent the last year, my family and I, we went with Global Harvest Ministries and we moved up to northern Uganda where we were pastoring a church, we were running uh, mission groups um, in East Africa, we were working in the South Sudan refugee camps, and uh, so we did that for about a year, and then we got back late last year, we found out we were expecting our third baby, so we, uh, yeah, thank you, the one guy who's happy about my baby, and uh, so we moved uh, to Leamington, where dreams come true, and uh, and uh, lives are fulfilled, and so we've been living in Leamington for a while. And uh, no, it's really good being back. This is my church. Uh, uh, you might see me every once in a while on the piano. Uh, but when I came back, I talked to Pastor RJ and uh, really honor the, the pastor team here. Uh, when I got back, I said, you know, if you ever need something from me, if you ever want to give me a call, I'm available for you. And so they said, we're doing this emotion series. And I said, well, I can't help you. I'm a pretty stoic individual. Uh, I don't really feel too many things. And, and he said, uh, well, we're thinking about you could do it on anxiety. I said, well, I can help you there. I'm basically a subject matter expert on being stressed out all the time. And uh, I'm a pretty hardwired guy. I'm pretty running hot all the time and uh, uh, always pretty tense. And so I was like, oh, I got a lot to bring to this conversation. So uh, I know that we're going to talk about anxiety, and I know that Pastor RJ always likes to give a definition so everybody's on the same page. So I got three definitions for you, two I'm less excited about than the third one. So anxiety, what is anxiety? First definition, a feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So yesterday at 3.22 p.m., I'm in Canadian Superstore in Leamington, Ontario, when 1,000 cell phones all go off, and I'm like, uh-oh, we've lost a child, right? And so I pull out my phone, and I'm like, who am I looking for? And it says, tornado warning. And I said, oh, I'm looking, I'm looking up. And so all of a sudden, everybody's grabbing the water, and everybody's getting into the cars, and I'm like, get my nachos, because we're, we got to hunker down for this tornado. And so... So I'm like, you know, all of a sudden, like everybody's all of a sudden gone up four levels on the anxiety factor, right? Like, you know, not me, I rent, so I wasn't too worried. But everybody else who owns things was like, oh no, we got to hunker this down, right? Like call your insurance and, and top up, right? So anyways, that's the first definition. Second one, a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior. So I don't know if anybody's like me, but I, I have a, I'm, I'm oppressed by a spiritual force called the, the spirit of shaky knee, 
where I go like this all the time. I'm always bouncing. I'm always bouncing. Drives my wife crazy. Because I'm like getting ready for the drive-thru. I got the shaky knee. And I'm like, you guys all better know what you're ordering. Because if I come up to this drive-thru and she asks me what I want, and I say, I don't know, we're all going to look like idiots. So make sure you know what we're ordering. You know, like I'm always hot. I'm always ready to go. Okay, you guys with me? Praise God. Okay, so that's step number two. You're always got this like, you know, excited apprehension, uneasiness. Now here's my third one. And this is going to be where we focus on. The third definition of anxiety that I could find off of Google.com is the desire to do something typically accompanied by a sense of unease. Ooh, all right. I'm actually going to preach, guys. So third definition, the desire to do something with some unease. Now, I want to make something clear. We have, as a society, especially in the West over the last, I don't know, 100 years, we have completely transformed the word anxiety from how it was 100 years ago. We've even transformed it from a generational level. Let me give you a picture, a picture presentation. When I was five years old, I was anxious to go to Disney World. Guess how much damage that caused my life? Zero. I was anxious to get to Disney. I'm like, we're getting to Disney World. My parents are like, we're driving. I'm like, well, we're going to get there slowly then, you know, but it's all right because we'll like play video games in the car, you know, and, and so, you know, when you're anxious as a kid, Everyone just usually attributes that to something that's awesome that's about to happen, right? We're going to Disney. My kids are anxious to go to Disney. My kids are anxious to have Christmas. My kids are anxious to go to whatever exciting thing you do with your kids, right? But then you become an adult and all of a sudden people say, oh, he's anxious. Nobody ever says, oh, is he going to Disney, right? They go, oh, he's got a meeting, he's got a this, he's got a bill, he's got a that, he's got a whatever, right? Guys, I've been preaching in Africa for like a year, so you guys have to be a little like louder because if you're also just like, I'm thinking someone's behind me, right? So, so just, you know, if you guys want to shout out, I'm all right with it. All right, praise God. We're, this is a team effort. This is a team building exercise, okay? So what is anxiety? Is anxiety a bad thing? No. The problem with anxiety is we don't know how to manage it. Is anger a bad thing? No, Ooh, someone was like, trick question? No, what do we say about anger? We don't tell people, don't have anger in your life because having, an anger, having anger is a completely reasonable response to certain things that happen. If someone comes and tries to talk funny to my wife, I'm gonna have an anger issue for a minute, right? Someone's gonna come tell me how I'm supposed to raise my kids and I'm doing things the right way and they're trying to tell me I'm not gonna have an anger issue for a minute, right? But I'm gonna manage my anger because I don't want my anger to turn into rage, right? The Bible says to be angry and sin not. Right? So what is he saying? Don't not have anger. It says just manage your anger that it doesn't turn into something that you don't want to turn into. With sadness, you know, if you start to live a life of sadness, we call that depression. The Bible doesn't say to be depressed. It says, you know, there's a time for weeping and there's a time for laughter. Right? When the people came to Jesus and said, your friend Lazarus died, what does it say? Shortest Bible verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Right? The emotions that are designed in you have been created in you to make you able to connect to other people. The Bible says that you are the light and the salt of the earth, but guess what? If no one wants you on your food or no one wants you in the room, then you're completely ineffective. Right? So we, have, we are wired to be able to have a position of empathy and relationship with the people around us. Why? Because we can be the bridge that points them back to the Savior right? No one's looking for us to be a 100% rock-faced stoic individual who doesn't feel nothing. Because if you do, people will know you're lying. And if you're lying, nobody cares what you have to say because you're not genuine in the first place, right? Oh, 
I, pre I prepared. <laughs> Amen. Now let me show you the very first time I found in the Bible that there is anxiety. So Genesis 2, God is talking to Adam. He's like, Adam, listen, guy. I know you're going to enjoy this garden. I pretty much set out everything. Here's the thing. Don't eat from that tree. Right? Is that what he said? You can eat from anything. Just don't eat from that tree. Now fast forward. Now Adam's got a wife. Okay? It's Genesis 3, verse 3. And uh, so Adam's now relaying the message. And so he talks, to, he talks to Eve and he's like, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, right? If you do, you will die. What was that? Well, I don't know if any of you have a toddler in the house. I've got a toddler and I usually use the you don't even touch it rule, right? Like if someone says to me, hey, make sure your kids don't eat such and such and such. I'm just like, you guys don't even touch it. You guys don't even look at it. You know, like when I don't know about you, there's no greater anxiety in a parent's life than when they go into a store full of things that can break with a toddler who all of a sudden has the arm stretch of like Wilt Chamberlain when he's in the shopping cart just knocking everything down and you're like, what is he, how does everything break? You know, and then the guy's like, you break it, you bought it. I was like, well, he break it and he broke. So and he's not paying you for nothing. <laughs> I don't know him. But what was Adam saying? He all of a sudden had a moment of anxiety where he looks at Eve and he goes, don't even touch it. Why? Because there was all of a sudden something that came into him and goes, you don't even know. Like, this is a big deal. He said, don't even, but we're not even going to touch it. You see, anxiety is the thing that makes you look both ways before you cross the street, right? Anxiety is the thing that tells your kid, you better put a helmet on before you get on that bike because little Jimmy busted his head open last week and we're not going to be little Jimmy's parents, right? You know, like anxiety is not a bad thing. Because anxiety forces you to do what you're supposed to do in order to be successful in your life. Right? You guys with me? If you guys were looking for an inner peace, self-help, help, this isn't it, okay? I don't believe in that, you know. Uh, but the problem is, is that the world has tried to tell us that we will become higher performing people if we reduce the amount of anxiety in our life. And I, I want to point out something. That's wrong <laughs> because we were wired to have an amount of anxiety in our life to be able to do what God has called us to do. The difference is, is A, how we manage our anxiety and B, where is our anxiety birthing from? Right? Oh, one person, one person's ready. The reason why I like that we talked about the armor of God is because it talks about the difference between the natural and the supernatural realms right? You don't give armor to somebody unless there's actually something that they're going to face in their lifetime. And oftentimes we as Christians say, oh, don't worry, I got the shoes of peace, right? I'm a pastor's kid. I probably said it all the time. I ain't worried about nothing. I got the shoes of peace, right? I got the Air Jordans of, you know, indifference to everything. Everything's going to be, just be all right, right? But the Bible doesn't say it's the shoes of peace. It's, it, you, I like the one uh, ESV says, uh, it's the shoes for the preparation of the readiness for the gospel of peace. What is it actually saying? It's shoes because you have to go deliver something. You know, there's a reason why it doesn't say it's the Tempur-Pedic mattress of peace, right? Because, because the mattress would just say that you can just kind of sit, you know, on your blessed assurance and lay down in, in your peacefulness and, and everything's going to be all right, right? But the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. 
The Bible tells us to go out and do something and to go forward and accomplish something. So here's your tools, here's your armor, because there's something that you have to happen. But the problem is, is that us as a, as a church and as a Christian, especially in Western society, is that the root of our anxiety is no longer on the supernatural purpose that we were created to accomplish, but instead it's been attached to a spirit of fear and worry and self-doubt and insecurity and all attached to all the natural realm things so that it's not a matter of the devil trying to, trying to stop you from accomplishing your supernatural purpose. He doesn't need to worry about that because you've never found it because you're so focused on all of the little things around you. We like to say they've missed the forest for the trees. You with me? Oh, it's getting quiet. I'm all concerned now. Uh-oh. Someone's going to be like, Pastor Mike, we have a heresy thing. <laughs> You're going to have to pray, man. You know, the problem is, is that, you know, anxiety pushes you towards something, but there's a certain point where all of a sudden it stops. Uh, let me tell you really quickly, we only got 15 minutes because we got, we got some encounter testimonies. That's why I'm talking so fast because I got a big message and I want to cram it down. <laughs> Praise God. Keep up, guys. So let me tell you about my month. Pastor RJ says, hey, you want to do a, a message on, on anxiety? I'm like, yes, I do. I can do that. One week later, I get a phone call. I work for the government in an unnamed entity for the purpose of liability and job security, right? And so they call me and say, hey, we want to bring you on in management. And I was like, "Woo, does it pay more, right? Because that's what everybody's thinking. And they're like, yeah, it does, obviously. Do you have any other questions? I said, no, that should be fine. That was the only thing I was wondering. And so they're like, oh, great, so you... You gotta come to the head office and you're gonna have to work out of here for like five, six weeks. And uh, like, that's where I'm going in like three hours. I go back to Toronto. And uh, I'm like, okay. And so they're like, yeah, but you know, like, I know you've been working from home, so you probably look like a bum, you know, for the last little while, but here we put on shoes and suit jackets, so maybe you should go invest in some things. And I'm like, okay, great. No, I got some nice pastoral clothes I can wear to the office. And I opened my closet, and I remember I've been in, like, you know, South Sudanese refugee camps for a year, and all my clothes are completely destroyed. So I'm like, I can't show up into fancy head office with these threads because people are going to be like, what happened to Mike? He must not be doing all right. Somebody better call somebody. You know, I think he's having an issue. All right, you guys can laugh. I'm just joking. So I go to Winners. I buy some nice threads. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look good. So I get in the car. I'm like, I'm going to drive to Toronto. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to be there. Like, I got to start at 7. I'll be there at 6.30, right? Because I want to, you know what they say? Make sure you're always early on your first day in a new job, right? I read it somewhere. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be there. So then I like, I get into the hotel that night and I'm like, I'm going to iron not one shirt, not two shirts. I'm going to iron all my shirts. So I'm ironing them all. I had to remember how to use an iron. So I'm ironing them all. And then I'm like, I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock because I'm going to be a high performing individual. So I'm going to get lots and lots of sleep. So then I'm like, I'm going to even wake up an hour early so I can swim, get my cardio in. I'm going to look like, every boss that everybody wants to be, you know. And so fast forward, I'm like awake at three in the morning. I have yet to sleep because I'm thinking about every single possible thing that's going to happen on my first day. I'm deciding whether it's my Monday shirt or my Thursday shirt that I want to wear tomorrow. I'm thinking about a million things. I'm like, what if they, I walk in and they go, oh, you're the mic we called? We actually meant to call the other mic. This is a big misunderstanding, you know. And so and then, you know, all of a sudden, beep, 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 5.30 comes along and I'm useless. I've been sleeping for like 20 minutes. So I'm like, I don't need to swim. Snooze, right? I'm not a fish. Snooze. 
15 minutes goes by, beep, 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 beep. I don't need a shower, snooze. These sheets are clean. I don't sweat that much, right? 15 minutes later, you gotta shave, snooze. I don't need to shave, five o'clocks are in, right? Five o'clock shadow, you're with me. So I'm like, you know, this is good. All of a sudden, oh no, I'm gonna be late. <laughs> I'm gonna be late for my first day on the job. And so I just shoot up, bang, out the door, you know, uh, you know, getting everything ready, putting your clothes on, kind of like doing like the one-legged shuffle out the, out the hallway door and getting on the elevator. Good morning, Mr. Quinlan. Shut up, I'm late, you know. And so I get in the car and, and uh, I was only two exits away. So I was early by like 20 minutes. Um, I way overestimated how much time it would take me to get there. So here's my point. I had two episodes of anxiety in a 24-hour period. One was an episode of anxiety where I could do nothing about anything. I'm in bed, right? All that's happening is I'm now becoming more and more tired for my future because I'm in a position where there's nothing I can do other than sleep, but I can't sleep because of all the anxiety in my head, right? The next morning, all of a sudden, I'm in a situation where I might be late, and now that anxiety is the fire and the kerosene under my belly that's getting me up, and I'm getting to work on time right? In two situations, I had an episode of anxiety. One helped me to fulfill what I was supposed to be doing. The other was actually taking away. Are you with me? The thing that is attached to the anxiety is that one was attached to worry and the other was attached to purpose. And the problem as a church is that we've lost the anxieties to a supernatural purpose within us and we've attached it to insecurity, to fear, to worry, to the things of the natural realm that are inconsequential to your destiny as human beings. But because we can't see the forest for the trees because we got these bills, we got these problems, we got this person's got that, this guy's got this, I'm gonna be late for that. And all of a sudden we don't know what we're doing as Christians, because we're so busy with what our problems are in the natural realm. You're never going to have, you know, the devil doesn't have to try to take you off the mission if you never get on it. Right? Now, some people might be like, hey, Pastor Mike, you know, uh, the Bible told me don't be worried about nothing. Right? Bible says don't worry about anything. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, right? Good verse. In Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Consider the grass, consider the lilies, consider the birds, consider the tulips, right? They don't worry about nothing, you know? Can I point something out about those Bible verses? All of those things are natural realm things. Birds don't have a supernatural purpose. If you're a doctor of theology and you want to argue with me, in 20 minutes, <laughs> After this, don't embarrass me. But I'm not a scientist, but I know that grass does not have a greater supernatural purpose other than to be green, to make my lawn look awesome, and probably to bring out some of the carbon dioxide out of the air. I don't know, right? Someone smarter than me can tell you. But the whole purpose is, is there's no supernatural destiny for birds, tulips, and grass. And when he says don't worry about anything, he's talking about the natural things in your life that will take you off of the supernatural purpose that he created you for. Are you with me? Praise God. There is no natural obstacle in your life that should ever take you off of the supernatural purpose that he brought you to. 
We all look at Jonah. A whale came and swallowed Jonah. Jonah was not a great minister. I mean, the entire time he was doing ministry in Nineveh, he was complaining about it the whole time. But there still wasn't a natural thing that stopped him from completing a supernatural thing, right? Paul was shipwrecked like a thousand times. He was in jail a whole bunch of times, right? Paul and Silas, they're going to jail. They're singing all the way there. They're like, we're going to get the jailer saved for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? There is natural obstacles constantly going on, but they knew they were on a supernatural path, so it wasn't really a big deal. Therefore, they were doing this big do not worry. With me? You know, when I, was, when I was pastoring in Uganda, I had a conversation with some pastors from Uganda and Congo, South Sudan, Rwanda, and I was like, you know, you guys always have five-hour church services. Everybody in Canada thinks you guys are way holier than us because you have five-hour, six-hour, seven-hour church services, so you guys must just be way closer to the Lord than we are. And he said, Pastor, they're five-hour services because it takes four hours for everybody to get here. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a problem. And I said, I said, so why does it take five hours for everybody to get there? They said, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's part of our culture that we just know we're going to get there when we get there. And when we get there, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do church. And, you know, we don't book stuff afterwards. That's our day. So that's our plan. So when it happens, it happens. And I said, oh, I said, so everybody's kind of like Hakuna Matata around here. And he goes, Pastor, you can speak Swahili? I said, what do you mean? I just learned that from Lion King. Hakuna Matata, it means no worries. He goes, Mike, that is a real phrase in Swahili, Hakuna Matata. And I said, oh yeah, it means no worries. He goes, the spirit of Hakuna Matata has been hindering the church in Africa for so long because everybody's in no worry mode, so no one's ever going out and trying to accomplish anything. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, Pumbaa and Timon never sang that part of the song. You know, and he goes to me, he's like, Pastor Mike, I'm telling you, Hakuna Matata is an issue in the church. We needed to be rebuking the Hakuna Matata spirit in our, in our society and in our culture because we're never going to be able to complete stuff. And so I did an entire uh, uh, like three-week message about Hakuna Matata, about peace. And the thing that we have to understand in the Western society also is that we have equated the peace of God to pacifism. Jesus was never a pacifist. When he saw corruption in the church, he pulled out a whip. He flipped a table. When they built the new church, they were enemies of the state. They were not pacifists, but they still walked with the spirit of peace. Why? Because it was the spirit of peace that allowed them to move through the natural obstacles to fulfill a supernatural destiny. We're going to close here in one minute. In Romans 12, 1 to 2. The writer says, therefore, I urge you, we, I'm urging you, that is a sense of do something. That is not an akuna matata verb, to urge. I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. It's your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to the world. What? Do not be attached to all of the natural issues, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that? Take on the mind of Christ, identifying the supernatural opportunities for a testimony and a message throughout the natural tests and messes of your life. Be transformed. Then you will be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. 
You understand, church? We do not have an anxiety problem. We have an anxiety management problem. We have been too long taking the things of no weight, of no consequence, of no real value, and giving those as excuses to God as why we cannot fulfill what he's created us to do. We're telling God, God, you know what? I'm in jail right now. I can't do it. God, you know what? I'm in the lion's den. I cannot do it. God, you know what? I'm shipwrecked. I cannot do it. God, you know what? I got sickness in my family. I can't do it. But I hate to tell you this, but when Paul was in jail, he was worshiping. When Jesus was in the storm, he was sleeping. When Daniel was with lion's dens, he was napping. Why? Because the true spirit of peace has everything to do with what's going on inside of you and nothing to do with what's going on around you. Your atmosphere does not take your attitude. It's your attitude and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which should be the influence on the atmosphere wherever you find yourself. That is what a supernatural destiny is. It is that your footsteps are going through a natural realm, bringing through supernatural power. Why? Because your anxiety and your passion and your purpose is not attached to the little things of this earth, but it's attached to the destiny that God created you specifically to accomplish. It's called the Great Commission. It's not the great suggestion, church. It's not, an op- it's not an option, it's not an opportunity. If you have a little anxiety, if you have a little burning inside of you to go witness to somebody, that's not something that you need a self-help book for. That's something because the spirit is moving inside of you and you gotta go out and do something. But if you can't even get out of your bed in the morning to go tell someone about Jesus because all the anxieties of your life are bringing you down, that's the thing that you need to cut out of your life because you'll never be able to fulfill what Jesus created you for if you can't even get out of your bed in the morning. It's the shoes a piece, not the mattress a piece. Amen? Now listen, if you've got something, I'm not trying to bash anybody. There's prayer, there's counseling, there's things that we can do. I'm, I'm really not trying to condemn anybody here, but what I am trying to do is I'm trying to identify something that can push you towards completing what God's made you to do. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I, I want to pray and, and you know, before I do, I just really want everybody to take a second and just look at what anxiety is in your life. We're all got anxiety in your life. If you don't, praise God, good for you. (laughs) But we all got anxieties in our life, but it's not about identifying what makes us anxious, it's about identifying why we're anxious. And if why we're anxious is not because of expectation for God to do something amazing, if it's not because of uh, you know, excitement to see where God takes us in the next round, but if it's just something about all the natural things in our life, if that's where our anxiety is tied to, that's never gonna bring you towards where God wants to bring you because that's not his best for you. You know, when Paul finished at the end, he said, you know, I look back at all the things I went through and I realize that they all work together to fulfill what he wanted me to do. That's the way we need to see the natural obstacles. Your test is just a testimony. Your mess is just a message. Your problem is just a promise. God's promises are always gonna be bigger than your problems, amen? Whether you choose to see it that way or not is up to you, but his promises are always bigger than the the problems that you're going through in your life. Let's pray real quick. Father God, I thank you so much that you 
have designed us specifically to have emotions. And just as that, you've designed us to have anxiety, not so that we can be afraid, not so that we can be worried all the time, not so we can be shell-shocked and can't accomplish anything, but rather that we can have the fire inside of us to be able to go out and accomplish something and do something that you've created us to do. Lord, may you identify the things in our life that cause us anxiety that are stopping us from being effective, proficient, and high-performing individuals in your kingdom, Lord. But may we instead be people who get anxieties attached to what you want us to do, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be the thing that sets the fire of anxiety in our life, not the spirits of fear and worry and doubt, Lord. May you show each one of us the areas that we need to improve in and the areas that we can enhance on, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in us, through us, and for us, God. You are the captain of the ship, and we will sing to you in whatever storm we find ourselves in. In Jesus' precious name we say, amen. amen. Are they coming in? Thanks, Pastor Michael. How many enjoyed Pastor Michael this morning?